Michael Commentary. Let me just add a few quick introduction notes here. You're going to hear in this first recording my mentioning David. David is the gentleman who was sitting next to me in the church in episode, I believe, number 132, where he receives a false prophecy from the church I had been attending that I'm struggling with, shall I continue to stay here or not? You're going to hear me talk to him about how I now believe that his prophecy was false, and that's the reason why his life is beginning to look like a curse. So you're going to hear that here in the beginning. And then you're going to hear me mention at that same recording, John MacArthur, and how when I played a few clips for his roommate who was living in darkness while professing to be a Christian, she started to almost climb the walls with discomfort. I mean, this was a lady who was literally having seances in her house, all kinds of darkness. She was an alcoholic, and I was trying to minister to her. And you'll hear me mention how while I was playing this video for her, uh, my friend David and a few other people in the house that night, she becomes extremely uncomfortable with this John MacArthur teaching. Now, I want to address the John MacArthur issue very quickly. Uh, I made the mistake of putting out in part of my journal entry how I had been blessed from some of John MacArthur's teachings and how God had started to use his strange fire conference to open my eyes to a lot of this charismatic madness stuff. And because I didn't put any disclaimers in there, because people didn't know about an earlier episode at RelentlessHeart.com that explained how I don't even know if John MacArthur even knows the Lord, and I gave my reasons why, and I showed the, the difference between the extremes of the charismatics and the extremes of the sola scriptoras. But because people on YouTube did not get the benefit of hearing that, a lot of people in one of my most recent YouTube videos got really upset. Mike, don't you know this guy's a heretic? Mike, don't you know he said you could take the mark of the beast? And you know something? I'm not making fun of those people. That's not their fault. But people did get heated about it and they were upset. And I think rightfully so. Um, I just, unfortunately, I didn't think about them not following the recordings. I'm so used to people on my channel having been following for years. Everybody knows when I mention a Charles Stanley that I don't listen to him anymore, and they know the reasons why, even though I love the guy. And so many people haven't heard me talk about John MacArthur yet. So to quickly explain, and you can find out a lot more information about John MacArthur if you're interested and where he's gotten off track from listening to other people. I'm not here to do that. That's not the call of my ministry. But I will tell you that when I listen to certain teachers, all God is a, has used every teacher I've listened to that I can think of to help me in some way that I've intentionally listened to. Not when somebody sent me like, hey, here's a Jesse Duplantis book, read it. No way. I read the first three pages of that book and I said, this is absolute horse manure. Get this out of my house. I don't even want it. I handed her book. And I said, I'll never read that kind of garbage. So, nonetheless, a guy like John MacArthur is brilliant, and he preaches a lot of sound biblical doctrine and truth. The majority of what he preaches is truth, and you have to know this. The majority of what Charles Stanley preaches is the truth. Are there some things in there that could be seen as pretty serious uh, heretical views? Absolutely, on both any number of preachers. People can think the same thing about me, all right? I'm trying to stay as absolutely close to biblical doctrine as I can, and I have the freedom of not having, like a Charles Stanley, a Southern Baptist convention sitting over my head with denominational bias and influence, restricting what I can and cannot preach from the pulpit, even if God gives me different light. So I'm not a part of an institution. I'm part of the body of Christ, and I go out there in the woods and for years said, God, please teach me. Don't let me be deceived. I want to know what you know about this. I want to see it like you see it and read it like you read it and live it like you live it. Jesus, help me. 
And so I, I've, as I've grown, God has begun to show me things that men have been teaching very favorably and uh, to big audiences and, and been found much agreement with. And all of a sudden I start to go, whoa, that is not what I see in Scripture. So how I began to separate from John MacArthur had nothing to do with the fact that there's a video out there of him saying that you can receive the mark of the beast and still repent. That had nothing to do with the reason why I stopped listening to John MacArthur. Quite honestly, I didn't listen to him long enough to get through all those teachings and find those things. The first thing that began to disturb me about John MacArthur was what appeared to be a general lack of of love and kindness and compassion and who he was. It looked an awful lot like stern kind of self-righteousness, looking down on other people. Listen, I'm right there with punishing the and, and, and making Christians that want to stay in this signs and wonders movement feel ashamed for that. I'm all about that. You sh- to, be, to make people feel ashamed. Paul says, I write this to your shame. Rebuke them sharply. I'm all about that. And so uh, there's no doubt many of my recordings are sharp and they're bold and they're strong. But if you listen long enough, Perhaps even in that same recording, you may hear me weep over the lost and you may hear me weep over those who are deceived and weep over those who are lukewarm and weep over those who are disobedient. You hear the kindness and the sternness of God in my ministry. I wasn't hearing the kindness in John MacArthur's ministry. And so that was the first red flag. I started seeing a sternness that seemed out of balance. The Bible says God is kind and stern. Paul says, You know, do you want me to come with a whip or in love and a gentle spirit? Both of those are of God. Jesus brought the whips. Jesus flipped over the change tables. Jesus said, you brood of vipers, you snakes, you're all going to hell. There's nothing you can do about it. There is a sternness to God and there's a kindness to God. Jeremiah came and said, it's the end of the world for you, Israel. And at the same time, he turns and weeps for them. There's the kindness, sternness of God and the kindness of God. So there's a balance that has to be in this. And so it's easy to get off on one of these extremes or to be lopsided. And I've gone out and said, Lord, help me. And so you'll hear me be stern and then you'll hear me be kind. And then you hear me be stern and you hear me be kind. I'm not this syrupy sweet. I don't believe this. Like if you take an example, you put John MacArthur on one end and then one of his greatest nemesis on the other. I think there again is a perfect picture of two totally extremes and the two halves of God. Joel Osteen on one side. Mr. Smiley Pants, and then you have John MacArthur, who's exceptionally stern, 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 very bold, very outspoken, and you see them, you miss in both of these guys the duality of the nature of God. This is my opinion, and I believe this lines up with what the Bible says. I believe if you're a true anointed man or woman of God serving Him, there should be a sternness and there should be kindness. The body of Christ needs an awful lot of sternness right now. There is no doubt that a guy like John MacArthur could appear to be too stern or out of balance because of how much nonsense is going on in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about it. I give him the benefit of the doubt on that. But let me be clear. I learned a great deal from John MacArthur, and I'm so thankful for um, his teachings and him standing against the charismatic movement, just like I've learned a lot from Dave Hunt about this, the late great Dave Hunt. And yet I don't agree with Dave Hunt on once saved, always saved. I don't agree with him about a few things about the rapture and the antichrist. But when you look at a John MacArthur teaching that you can receive the mark and still be saved, I think that is a very, very terrible deception. No doubt that would be a heretical teaching in my opinion. And I think that he's probably beginning to hang out with some people that are also questionable. And I think a lot of these guys in this Sola Scriptura camp know the Bible really well and they don't actually know God. 
I, I've said it very clearly. I, th- I can't remember if it was episode number 129. I don't know if they actually know the God of the Bible. I am absolutely convinced they know the Bible. I'm just not sure if they know the God of the Bible. When you know somebody and you love somebody, you have a tendency like in a marriage to become a little bit like the person you're married to. And so if you're married to Christ, you should be becoming more and more like him. And he has two natures. So sticking with point, there's any number of good reasons that I chose not to listen to John MacArthur, but the number one top reason was I began to cool off thinking, man, this there's a, something unloving about this. And then here was the deal breaker for me with John MacArthur. I heard him on a radio interview one time saying that God had never, ever spoken to him outside of the word of God. And when I heard that, I said, he's not following the same God that I am. And he was saying it as a way that God would never speak to you outside the word. And I said, I cannot listen to this anymore. This is a heresy. John 8, 47, John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. They hear me. They follow me. John 8, 47, those who belong to God, hear God. The reason you do not hear God You do not belong to him. There's many other scriptures that talk about this. And so I could not look at a John MacArthur and say, okay, so you're going to take a guy like Charles Stanley and me, and you're going to have to throw us in the garbage and many others because we believe God has the ability to speak to us and give us personal guidance for our life outside of what is just written in the Bible. I would have to throw away some of the greatest events of my life that turned out for my good and brought God glory, not Satan glory, brought God glory in my life if we were going to say that that was Satan speaking to me or if that was my own imagination speaking to me. And I've had both of those as well. But so I could no longer listen to him. I was in total disagreement. I mean, I was living a life where God was speaking to me every day. And I have dozens and dozens of examples of God speaking directly to my heart about things, giving me guidance, speaking like sentence length things. So there was no way I could turn from that and go, well, I guess John MacArthur's right. These were all figments of my imagination, even though everything God ever told me came true or turned out to be some of the greater foundational truths of my, you know, Christianity, which, oh, by the way, they were in the Bible. I hadn't seen them yet. So what God spoke to me was in direct accordance with the scripture, and I hadn't even found that passage yet. So there's a living spirit behind the living word. There's a living God behind the word of God. And so that was it. I was done with John MacArthur at that point. I could no longer respect a man, no matter how great his doctrines were, who clearly didn't know God because God's not speaking to him. Now, let me be careful. 90 plus percent of God speaking to me is through his word. Again, many of you know he's chosen this very bizarre, unorthodox way of using numbers multiple times in a day. He'll give me a certain passage through showing me a number three or four times in a day. And I'll go, okay, Lord, I'll look that one up. And sure enough, there's exactly what I needed. Okay. And so that's a very unorthodox way. That's not the only way God speaks to me. God speaks to me when I'm reading the word. He gives me insight. He shows me what's below the words. He gives me treasure. It doesn't require a number to do that. The numbers are just for my specific encouragement and guidance when I'm because I'm living a very active life with God. If more Christians would be so willing to surrender everything they have to God and give him wholehearted, total obedience and literally live their lives for him, you would have to have a lot more guidance from God like I'm having to have. I'm not living my own life and then occasionally going, hey, you got anything for me over here, God? Or, hey, you feel bored? You want to give me a word? 
No, I'm doing so many things. My life is so involved with God that God, by the very nature of my, my day, he has got to give me this much guidance. Lord, I'm going to be thinking about this, or this person said this, or this person's asking for that, or this, that, and the other, or hey, I'm thinking about this part of the ministry, or this message, and God will have to lead and guide me, or I'm dealing with this issue in my family, or whatever. God has to give me guidance because I'm living for him. The Bible says, Romans 8, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? It doesn't say those who are led by the Word. Have you ever thought of that? John MacArthur's led of the Word, and I don't know that he knows God. You have to be led of the Spirit and the Word. It's like saying God is only stern or only kind. You have a half-truth. You have a bird with one wing. It flies in circles. You have to be led by the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit wrote the word. The Spirit administers the word. The the Spirit gives understanding on the word. And so that's how I wrote off John MacArthur. And I said, I can't do this anymore. So since then, I've not watched any of his videos in over five years or so. I, I think it's been at least five years. I have no idea what his latest stuff is. I have no idea. There's people that are far better at this heresy hunting than I am. There's a few guys out there I take serious issue with that I bring up from time to time, but mostly it's with the movements in general. I'm never, God willing, going to stop being hard on this nonsense. I'm never going to stop challenging people to see if, in fact, you have an authentic or you have the counterfeit. I would rather offend a ton of people down here that may begin to question, you know, is what I have, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, true faith, or is this a counterfeit? And because a counterfeit can look so much like the real. And it takes a great deal of discernment. And so I've grown a lot. I haven't had to go watch a bunch of apostasy websites to learn these things. I started to say, something's not right. There's a temperament in John MacArthur that contradicts the spirit of Christ. You know, look, if you say Jesus is all love and then you see somebody get up tight and somebody really strike hard with a rebuke, you'd say, well, that's unloving. No, go read Matthew 23. And on the same hand, if you see somebody always being hard, hard, hard and never showing compassion, you'd say, no, you need to go read a bunch more in the book, like say John chapter four, the woman at the well, uh, or see how Jesus teaches, see how Jesus treats Martha and Mary and he weeps over the fact that, you know, uh, Lazarus is dead or see how compassionate he is to the sinners. You know, I do not condemn you. They don't condemn you. Neither do I go and leave your life of sin. You know, God is so compassionate to those people in those ways. So there's there's both and, okay? So that's kind of my little disclaimer. I've mentioned several other ministers like Jensen Franklin, Charles Stanley. Most of these guys I don't listen to anymore because at some point in time, as I listened more and more, I began to see they are going in a different direction. Like, for example, when you tell me that you believe the only evidence of being born again and filled with the Spirit is that you speak in tongues, you and I are done. We have nothing else to talk about. To me, you have preached a total heresy. To me, you're preaching a different gospel. You've just bought into the devil's trap to believe in a different gospel. Is that not a different gospel? When Torben Sundergaard would say to Michael Criswell, brother, you got a lot of truths. You're doing really well. But brother, we got to get you speaking in tongues to get you saved, to get you filled with the Holy Spirit. If anybody could look at my ministry, I'm just going to say this boldly. Here's the sternness of God. If anybody can look at the works that God has done in my life, at the prophecy God has prophesied about through me and the lives of other people. If they could look at the abundance of answered prayers of God telling me over and over again and say that I'm not filled with the Spirit. If they can look at the fact how I've given up my entire life 
and will for Jesus Christ, that I have been suffered the loss of everything and everybody in my life for Jesus Christ willingly multiple times, that I was willing to suffer all kinds of things holding myself down in place on the cross when I could have easily saved myself off of it. And you say, the Holy Spirit is not in my life. You're saying one of the most darkened things you could possibly say in your understanding. It is an evidence that you are so absolutely walking in the dark, that you're walking under a completely different false gospel. And so it doesn't matter to me what Torben Sundergaard says after that. When he looks at me and preaches a different gospel that says that I am not saved or filled with the Holy Spirit until I speak in tongues, when Paul clearly said, do all speak in tongues. There's one verse that completely annihilates this idea that everybody speaks in tongues. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's just as ridiculous as suggesting everybody has to prove they're a miracle worker in order to prove that they are saved. It is absolute nonsense. What kind of arrogance and what kind of spiritual blindness would it take to look at a guy like Charles Spurgeon, God help him for being a Calvinist, or to look at a guy like A.W. Tozer, or look at a guy like D.L. Moody, or look at a guy like uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, or look at a guy like John Flavel, or look at a guy like George Mueller, or look at a guy like St. Augustine and say, hey guys, you almost, you were not far from the kingdom of God. It's really a shame that you didn't speak in tongues and get filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Where is the arrogance and the blindness coming from that you could look at some of the greatest giants that have ever lived spiritually? You know, Amy Carmichael, I'm really glad you gave 50 years of your life to serving all those poor children and saving them out of sexual slavery in India. You were not far from the kingdom of God. If we could have just gotten you to speak in tongues, we could have gotten you saved and got you filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? People don't realize how foolish of a doctrine it is and how many of the greatest saints that have ever lived that you have to erase out of Christian history with a giant spiritual eraser when you say the only evidence of being born again and filled with the glorious Holy Spirit is if you're speaking in a tongue. That is absolute nonsense. And when somebody preaches that, to me, they're a complete heretic. And they're preaching a false gospel, which Paul said, if anybody preaches a different gospel other than the one we've preached, be it us or an angel, let him be eternally condemned. I wonder why people haven't thought about the fact that when you preach a gospel that says it's required you to, quote, obey the Sabbath, Ellen G. White, Seventh-day Adventist. That's a different gospel. You're going to hell. She went to hell. That's what the Bible says. Why is it not the same thing when you say the gospel of salvation is evidenced only by the fact that you speak in tongues? The Holy Spirit, the true evidence, is holiness, not a different language coming out of your mouth, no matter how much God was pleased to allow that to happen at Pentecost. So this is. these are just a couple of my thoughts on uh, the John MacArthur thing and various other teachers. Don't you know? get too upset when you hear me mention a teacher that you maybe now have learned. Uh, I think God has allowed a Romans 8.28. I've been able to learn a lot 
from all these. And, and like I've said, a counterfeit is a large percentage true. So you can still learn from false teachers. I mean, I learned from Charles Stanley for many years. I learned from all these guys. And I don't want to call Charles Stanley a false teacher, but to me, he clearly teaches serious false doctrines. The, the, the idea, in fact, I mean, I'm not sure if Charles Stanley teaches that you can't be saved if you keep the Sabbath. I'll give you one example, one final example. I've been recently listening to a guy named J.C. Ryle who preaches on holiness that is like better than anything I've ever heard preached on holiness. It is remarkable. But here again, as I listen, here comes the Sabbath. I start noticing, wow, this guy's bringing up the Sabbath a lot. And it sounds like coming out of the Church of England, he held fast to the notion and God never gave him light that Gentile believers were never once under the law of Moses. And even if we were a Jew and we converted to Christianity, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He's the reality. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's in us by the Holy Spirit 24, seven days a week. We now have Sabbath, which is rest. And he never got light on that. And so that's very difficult for me. If you, and it, it makes me want to draw back from his teachings because you're now saying that salvation is dependent upon Sabbath. And if, and if, if J.C. Ryle were alive today, very respectfully, I would say to him, J.C. Ryle, I want you to watch the False God Challenge, and I want you to tell me I'm not saved. God's going to, with your willingness and your humility. Unfortunately, I got cut off by a phone call at this point in the commentary yesterday when I was making it, but I just wanted to end up by saying that I would have respectfully said to him, watch the False God Challenge, and then can you possibly conclude that I'm a lawbreaker? Can you apply John 9.31 to the evidence you see of God working in my life and call me still a lawbreaker before God because I do not, quote, keep the external regulation of the Sabbath? And how is it you haven't yet, a man of great study, been able to come to freedom from Colossians 2.17, recognizing the Sabbath of Israel was a shadow of the reality of the Sabbath rest which comes to all in Jesus Christ. End of commentary. It's 844, January 9th. Tonight is the night that I confronted David about me leaving the church and told him the whole thing that I believed his prophecy that he received was false and that's why his, his life has... Uh, the, the whole thing has turned into a disaster. And he was so thankful. He was disturbed by the whole thing, but he believes it. And uh, he's like, man, where do we go to church from here? But um, went over with him and Chris tonight and started watching the Strange Fire Conference. And they both were really just starting to be blown away. His roommate walks in um, while we're watching it, and she started listening to it. And at one point, she comes in and cuts us off. She says, hey, she goes, isn't isn't the Rock Charismatic Church? And I got up and stopped the video and started talking about it. And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. And I started to be real non-confrontational and just try to make everything real general and generic. She goes, well, I've been listening to what he's saying, and I'm not, I don't agree with what he's saying. It was exactly like a replay of when I confronted the story she was telling me about the friend of hers who had been having supposed contact by another of her friend's dead son. And I said, this is demonic. This is not of God. She got so mad, said she didn't agree with anything I said. She went to the church pastor, described the thing, situation, and he in fact said, yeah, that sounds like that could be demonic. But 15 minutes into us watching this thing tonight, 
she began to get upset, and she's like, I, I just don't agree. Well, it sounds to me like you guys are going to be leaving the rock. And I said, who knows, we may. Of course, we are, but I didn't say anything. Um, and you could see it was incredible. John MacArthur's teaching, in 15 minutes, there is so much light and so much truth in his teaching. It was confronting all of the darkness in this woman, just like when I had approached her about the demons. The most incredible thing for me to witness is that the whole reason I was trying to have the meeting that night was to convince those guys and show them that what's going on at our church is not good, that our church is not telling the whole truth. And we all, when she walked out of the room, were blown away with the fact that 15 minutes of truth coming out of a DVD player on her stereo was enough to agitate the darkness in her. And obviously the demons that have got control over her life, and I mean, not necessarily saying they're in her, but she is heavily under the influence of Satan. And she was on her way out to church, the church that she's been going to for two and a half years, three times a week. And I thought, guys, look at this. She can sit for three times a week in a church and be so excited about going. And she's able to come home and get drunk every night, do seances and all these kind of crazy things, and yet 15 minutes of hearing John MacArthur sent her through the roof. This woman sits through three and a half hours of church a week and thinks that it couldn't be any better, it's great, it's wonderful. She couldn't hear 15 minutes of John MacArthur. Unbelievable testimony about the difference between somebody that preaches truth and somebody that doesn't. I've had the talk with uh, Larry and Trish tonight about the strange fire thing and about my leaving the charismatic church and the, the church. And it went well. Larry is such a good listener and he's so good at, even if he doesn't agree, you know, he's he's really just good about listening and being safe. Um, I think everything's going to go really well. But I saw 11.55 twice today in regards to me learning about this. I had just written this morning... Um, the 28 or 29 points of why I'm leaving the church and send it off to Larry about false prophecy and all that. And then I looked down and it was 11.55. Tonight, we're getting ready to end up. Trish gets up, leaves, goes in the bedroom, and I say, hey, what time is it? She says, it's 11.55. I said, really? Picked up my phone, looked, it was 11.55. That's the confirmation again, right after I just had the conversation with Trish, I mean with Larry tonight about false prophets and all this kind of stuff. Here it is. God showed me that passage. 11.55 again. Do not believe what the prophets prophesy to you. They prophesy from their imaginations on page 11.55 in my Bible. God confirming that he is in fact directing my steps and speaking to me about this, that I am on the right track. Michael Commentary. On page 1155 in my Bible is Jeremiah chapter 23, and in the bottom left-hand column is verse 16 that I have underlined. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace, and to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened 
and heard his word. And this was God making it clear to me that these prophets that were coming in were prophesying the delusions of their own mind, which explains why so often these prophecies are what the people want to hear. It's kind of this, God wants to bless you and make you cozy, happy, healthy, wealthy, and do all kinds of good, fun, wonderful things to you, when in fact you may be living every day of your life in willful sin, willful unbelief, or disobedience to the very teachings of Jesus Christ. End of commentary. Today is January 12th, 2014. I had a, a really good time with Larry and Trish the last couple of days. I had the opportunity to give them a, a decent explanation of why I'm leaving the church. And they are people of such grace that we we're able to have this conversation. We have such a great relationship. We're able to have this conversation where they can express what they believe and I can express what I believe. And I um, was very comfortable with the conversation, but I can still see that there is the resistance. They, without a doubt, believe that I am headed in probably the wrong direction. And as I very much believe they are, um, I hate to use the word deceived, but there is no other word for it. I, I believe that just like I was beginning to be deceived, they have been and are in a movement that regularly seeks experiential things happening, um, quote, moves of the Spirit, and typically are finding the need to go to men for either a word of prophecy or for healing or a great sermon to get them lifted up and aha, you know. And that's what I see in this whole charismatic movement is I'm sitting here making notes and I'm realizing, looking back, how many times my peace was violated as I began to constantly wrestle with, is this really of God? It's almost like I could never get comfortable. Other people seem to be completely comfortable in it. I had to almost kind of fake my way through it. I remember going to Sunday night services constantly, even with another level of guard. You know, is that word of prophecy right? Is that person laying on the floor? Is that really of God? Is that person that's acting so weird right over there, is that really what the Spirit of God would make that person do? You know, um, and I just began to see this absence of peace. And I realize now, kind of having separated myself from it, that I just never have peace until I fake it. I had to literally like try to just go with it and uh, try to ignore it or dismiss it. And by God's grace, I never fully dismissed it. And it's not like there's anything, you know, grievously noticeably evil or wacky going on in the church, but it's primarily this subtle deception, what I believe is a wooing away of the true Spirit of God. I see people that claim to have the corner on the Holy Spirit, and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they have the tongues or the gift of prophecy or the healing, and they chase all these teachers that, quote, have it. Interesting, most of them don't have anything. They, they all speak babble, but they don't have the gifts of healing. They don't have the words of prophecy. I have yet to hear a word of prophecy come from somebody that's true. And or that hasn't train wrecked somebody's life like my friend David who listened to it. So they think they have these utterances. They speak of their own imagination, as the Bible says. I did not give them words. And yet they don't seem, and they go around going, the, the Lord told me. I hear this all the time. You know, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, or the Spirit told me, or God said. And it's this always this kind of new revelatory thing of, of some sort. And yet I do not see 
any evidence that they're doing what he already told all of us in his word. There's so many violations of his word, just carnal living, parties with alcohol, you know, nonstop talk of things in the world and an obsession with things of the world, not of God, gossip, you know, uh, just weirdness, uh, lack of discretion, not dressing like a woman should dress, you know, just a total denial of things in scripture. I mean, Anyhow, I've just, I've made my point, but anyhow, my mom comes to me this morning and says, so, not going to church again? I said, nope, that's all I said, and I kept my head down, I'm bit deep in study here. Ten minutes later, so, Michael, what do you want me to tell people when they ask why you're not coming? That's really her asking, why am I not going to church? And I said, oh, just tell them to send me an email. Just don't worry about me, you worry about you. And I'm sure that irritates the you-know-what out of her. I have not felt yet the release to be able to say until I, I send out a video. I'm still waiting to hear from the Lord on what He would have me do, and I'm still studying on this. But um, anyhow, I just wanted to capture this. It's still very weird and uneasy stuff here. How about it? Today is January 14, 14. I just now noticed that it's 1.34 p.m. I'm just finishing up about a two-hour walk and um, listen to two wonderful uh, sermons by John MacArthur on true disciples versus false disciples, or I think actually it's called False Disciples, Part 1, 2, and 3. And I've been feeling, uh, this morning has been a little bit of a rough day, I, I just have not been feeling good in my sinuses, and I've been feeling a little tired, and then of course that affects my my thinking too, and so I've been a little vulnerable, and feeling a little weary. Today is the day that I sent out the Why I'm Leaving my church and the charismatic movement message and the three and three and a half minute demo video or promo video for the strange fire conference by john macarthur two of my uh, really best friends and been just like a second set of parents to me primarily a father to me for a while has been uh, larry and his wife trish and i um really am brokenhearted because i now realize how deceived uh, they are. I have thought many things over the last, I'd say, two years. I've heard comments being made and teachers being recommended and Joel Osteen books I saw and Smith Wigglesworth and friends who were prophets and this person saying this about this year and um, a constant need to want to learn and study more about the brain and all these kind of things and how those things work. And, and when a person is facing challenges, there's always a tendency to um, rely on these more worldly principles or science principles or psychological principles. And, of course, Scripture is thrown without. But I've always been very, very leery of this, very leery of this. And I've told very many times, man, you, we cannot, you know, 50 years ago nobody understood the amygdala and how it reacts under certain, you know, anxieties and the cortisol reaction and the fear. And when you go into Thanksgiving, your brain can't be in fear at the same time. Nobody had that information and yet people have lived incredibly effective lives those that are truly called of Christ and those that are not don't I find myself also recognizing now that one of the biggest problems with counseling and why they have such a struggle and why it very rarely works is because of the fact that you're trying to counsel um, non-Christians you're trying to counsel people who think they're a Christian because they talk about Jesus and they go to a church but they're not true followers they've not surrendered they've not fully repented they've not sacrificed they've not given up everything for Jesus Christ and they don't worship him in truth and in spirit and so you're trying to fix a person even with spiritual principles that it themselves is is not spiritually alive that is another eye-opening experience 
that I've been thinking about here. <clears throat> the other thing I've wanted to pay attention to is I've been seeing a lot of the number 1055, and that turned out to be um, a scripture that said, remember the, the miracles, and remember God's deliverance, and remember the amazing things He did in the past. Well, it's a brand new scripture, so I don't know fully what it is, but it's a wonderful scripture that's causing me to be encouraged to, to look back and remember what God has done, what I've been being discouraged. I'm walking up the mountain, and I see a 555 on a garbage can. 30 seconds later, a car goes by with a 555 on the license plate. This all just happened about five minutes ago. So that was encouraging. I've been seeing 1101 quite a bit. And um, even though I've been feeling so alone in this, you know, my new assessment of what's going on and my eyes having been opened, um, I feel like that message by John MacArthur just completely encouraged me. And I also got rid of one of my concerns. I was always under the impression that he thought, you know, once saved, always saved meant that, you know, even if you fell, you were still saved. And I now realize that 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 is not what he believes, that in fact he does believe it's possible for people to go apostate and fall away, but that ultimately that means they were never a true follower. And I get that. That makes total sense. If, if, if you really are his, he's able to keep you. If you fall, it means you were never his. And, you know, you were a false disciple. Michael Commentary. Here is a wonderful place to show you how something I once believed I no longer believe. What you just heard, I do not, under any circumstances, believe this anymore. Somebody could point to 1 John 2.19 all day long and say, See, they went out from us because they did not belong to us, therefore they were never a part of us. Does that apply in many situations? Absolutely. You could be... You could speak that verse of scripture to every single tear sitting in every single so-called church in the United States and say they were never a part of us. So eventually when they leave and we see evidence thereof and they fall apostate either through, you know, their own belief and love of the world or through the coming of the Antichrist, we can indeed look at many of those people and say, you know, hey, they were never a part of us. Their going showed they were never a part of us. So I absolutely believe the truth of the word of God in that, but I do not believe that that applies to all true believers. And I have ample evidence in scripture, some 64 plus other scripture verses that show we have a vital responsibility to play in the working out of our salvation and with fear and trembling before God and participating with a great responsibility and are continually being sanctified more and more like Jesus Christ, more and more set apart for Jesus Christ. And if we do not hold to the gospel, if we do not hold firm to our faith all the way to the end, that which we've believed in the beginning, if we do not continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, if we do not become an overcomer even to the point of death, if we do not take up our cross and deny ourselves, if we do not obey the teachings of Jesus Christ, if we do not endure to the end so that we shall be saved, if we do not overcome to the point where Jesus says, now I've given you the right to eat of the tree of life, that you will absolutely fall away. And one of the most dangerous places I believe any Christian can be is in this false belief that you cannot. Let all the heresy hunters call me a heretic all they want. Read 
your Bible and let the truth reveal itself to you, to those of you who love the truth, not loving the truth according to how Michael Criswell preaches it, not loving the truth according to how you want to hear it, not loving the truth according to how John MacArthur preaches it or Charles Stanley or even George Mueller preaches it, but loving the truth according to how God has written it and ordained it by his spirit. Let God find it in your heart. You truly have humbled yourself to love his truth, asking him to teach it to you as he sees it and as he wrote it, not how some man sees it. To come up with the opinion you just heard me say I believed was to listen to the man's opinion, to a man's teaching and come to that conclusion. I did not come to that conclusion on my own. I did not come to that conclusion by reading my Bible and say one day, hey, I now have it figured out that if a person falls away, they never were saved to begin with. I don't come to that conclusion reading my Bible. And if you can pick one verse of Scripture, 1 John 2.19 as that example, and then you can try to blanket apply that to every person that falls away, well, then we can take and remove a great deal of what's written in the Bible. There was pages and pages and verses and verses and all kinds of scriptures that were written that we can just remove. Now, if you would like to have more insight on this and you're a lover of the truth, let me encourage you here to see when I humbled myself before God, when I wiped the slate clean and when I said, God, I'm tired of listening to what these men are teaching me. God, I want to know from your word. If you want to see what God taught me, you can go to relentlessheart.com and you can click on messages And actually, you can just click in the search field and type in once saved, always saved. And there you can also download under the books uh, tab a free PDF of this, or you can read it right online as a blog entry where I took the time to go through, look at the three positions that men primarily uh, rest on or camp on regarding this eternal security doctrine. And then we look at what did Jesus say about falling away? Then we look at when does the Bible actually say we have salvation versus this inheritance thing that we're waiting for? And then we look at the 10 or so scriptures that people seem to hold on to that say, look, see, you can never lose your salvation. And then we look at the 65 scriptures that show you absolutely can and how vital of a role it is that you play in your own sanctification. You didn't do anything to receive justification, forgiveness of your past sins, atonement in Christ through the faith that you believed of his death, shedding of the blood on that cross. You didn't do anything to earn that, but I tell you the truth, you have to very much participate in your sanctification and you have to be an overcomer all the way to the end of your life or you will not make it if you do not persevere in the teachings of Jesus Christ. The Bible is full of warnings about this that all the teachers, if you ever notice this, the John MacArthur's of the world, if you look at the Charles Stanley's of the world, or any other very famous minister that speaks about no one can fall away from grace, you go read that document and you'll go, my goodness, I've never heard my minister preach these scriptures before. Wow, and if he did, he surely didn't camp out on it. He didn't give any explanation. He simply dismisses it. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard Charles Stanley just so quickly dismiss these scriptures. See, he has to. Because his Southern Baptist denominational doctrinal bias and influence and all the elders and all the leaders that say, here's what we believe and here's what you can teach. And if you do not teach what we believe, you're not a part of this. 
So all of those people have formulated their opinions and their doctrines. But watch this. That means they have to pretend an awful lot of scripture either doesn't exist, it doesn't mean what it says it means, or it's not nearly as important as God thought it was. That is a terribly dangerous position. I share with Zach Poonin that one of the greatest false doctrines that Satan has ever perpetrated on the body of Christ is this idea of once saved, always saved. It has led more people to camp out on the fact that they were justified in Christ through the faith that they gave him and that bloodshed on that cross. And now I'm good with God. My past sins are forgiven. I've been born again. I'm in and there's nothing I can do to lose it. Hogwash. The very fact that you'll continue on to live your life thinking that now you can somehow take for granted of the work of Christ, that you can trample him in your life and live your life for however you want to live, ignoring him as Lord, that you don't have to take up your cross, deny yourself, lose your life to find it, learn his teachings and and obey them and practice them, means you are completely deceived and you will never make it and you will be amongst those who hear, flee from me, I never knew you. But Lord, I said a prayer in your name. But Lord, I went to a church with your name on the building. But Lord, I had a Bible in my house. But Lord, you said I'm saved by faith. Yes, your, your sins were forgiven. You were converted from an object of God's wrath to being reconciled to him as a friend, and yet you took plain advantage of it. You took it for granted, and you thought you could continue to live like the devil as if God threw some kind of a big blue tarp over your sins, and once and for all, he can never see your past or future sins. You have been lied to. You have been deceived. You have shown contempt for the work of Jesus Christ and for his words and for him as Lord in your life if you're living like that. They are absolutely deceived. And you cannot come to that conclusion reading scriptures. You can only come to that conclusion if you ignore what scripture clearly says. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. To him over who overcomes, I will give him the right to the tree of life. We Let us hold even more firmly to the words that we have believed. Let us hold more firmly to our faith. Let us hold more firmly to the gospel. Otherwise, we have believed in vain. We have come to share in Christ if we hold 65 scriptures that show the responsibility Christians have. There is no weaseling out of this except through deception and through a hatred of the truth. When you decide you like what some man preaches better than what God, through his choicest saints who wrote the Bible, wrote ever so clearly. I encourage you, if you're confused on this subject, humble yourself before God and ask him to show you the truth. I was deceived about this doctrine for many, many years. And you can see here, even through the teaching of John MacArthur, I'm still being deceived to believe something that's not entirely true in scripture. Yes, there's an aspect of it that's true. Yes, there are tares amongst the wheat who will show eventually they were never a part of us. But to those of us who are true believers, we still can fall away from the faith. Otherwise, we need to rip all those verses and warnings out of our Bible. End of commentary. Feel I feel like um, I'm very kind of uh, been very just kind of weak and dependent upon the Lord and not feeling very strong in some things and this whole experience has has shaken me up quite a bit. Um, I was actually just praying about you know should I say anything to Rusty and the most amazing thing happened 
I thought, Lord, do you want me to say anything to him? You know, should I? Part of me feels like I shouldn't because it's this is not an issue of, you know, me having a problem with one particular teaching he said or, you know, something with a worship or a person. This is an issue with me having a completely different theological viewpoint. I mean, what is the guy going to do? Change his whole church, his beliefs, stop speaking in tongues, quit inviting false prophets? I mean, again, could that happen? Absolutely. But interesting thing, several weeks ago, I made a message to Rusty. And I was telling him that, look, I love you, man. And I, I know it's got to be hard to hear some, some feedback like this. But the message you preached this morning on grace left everybody completely confused after you had preached on sin a week or two earlier. And I was very fired up about sharing this message with him, and immediately the Lord shut me down. I see a 525, and I know, okay, Lord, you don't want me to? So today I'm walking up. I had just been thinking about that. Should I contact him? I'm like, Lord, what would you say? And I was getting ready to think that maybe I should, and then I said, no, I need to check with the Lord on this. What would he have me do? About that time I had a cramp in my leg. I stopped on the sidewalk, not even conscious of where I was at, to massage it. I look down, I'm standing next to a green phone wire thing that's sticking up, and right on it, 525. And instantly I was like, okay, that ain't a coincidence. All right, Lord. So apparently, either not yet or never, does the Lord want me to say anything to him. That That's not something he wants me to do now, because that's Galatians 525, which says, And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, I am... Um, here I am, so unbelievably vulnerable standing up for the for the truth of God's word and yet I have no physical evidence whatsoever this is so ironic but I have there's nothing in my life that would convince anybody uh, that I'm anything less than smitten by God completely forsaken and yet God calls me into deeper more um, controversial stances uh, in, a, in a more narrow walk the road just keeps getting more and more narrow as I walk with Christ and I'm now seeing how I don't think hardly any of the people that I've interacted with at the church are actually saved. I hate to say it, but I, I really do not believe very many of the people sitting in that church. I know there's a few that I saw in my group, but there's not very many. The majority of the people that I have met, I believe, are, are almost all false disciples, just like John MacArthur would believe that the majority of the people sitting in charismatic churches are not true believers in Christ. Their emphasis is on the here and now and what God can do for me now. And Jesus explicitly says, do not work for food which spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life. This is this is a metaphor of that can be applied to the fact that people are still so busy chasing the experience, the electricity, the power, the healing, the tongue, the move of God, the miracle, <clears throat> the prosperity. And this is such a slap in the face. The truth of the gospel is, is that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord and endure this life to receive our great reward, which is on the other side. Will there be moments of divine providence and pleasure given to us and breaks here on earth? Absolutely. Will there be miraculous healings, miraculous provisions, amazing things? Absolutely. But the fact is, the majority of people are thirsting for those things. And I love what, what he says. He says, you want to know how to build a big church? Tell people what they want to hear. Tell them about prosperity. Put their focus on all the things that are wrong with their life that Jesus can take care of for them, the healings they need, the prosperity, the broken marriages, the fixed careers, the better businesses. You, you start talking to people about those kind of things, and you'll have a gigantic church. You start putting the focus on supernatural or even promising of the supernatural, people will be drawn to it. And what attracts a crowd? A crowd. He said the quickest way to get false disciples in your church is to begin putting the focus on that. 
as I hear those words come out of his mouth in this message today, I recognize that and that is the exact reason why there are so many false Christians in this church that I've been going to. There's so many that don't actually know Jesus. And my eyes are finally opening to the idea, I've been so confused on this, why is it that people can so much talk about Jesus, say, oh, hallelujah, and be all so excited about him, but yet the words that come out of their mouth don't match their life whatsoever. There's no there's no integrity between what they speak and what they walk in. And people are so drawn to, you know, hearing all these things, and they can turn around and spout the scriptures, and they can spout the words, and they can... Praise the Lord, raise their hands, talk about it, be all excited about it. You know, all this healing and that prosperity and this guy and that. And there's, you, you would look at them and go, wow, they're excited. They got a smile on their face. They must be Christians. And they're anything but, as far as I can see, now that I measure them against the fruit that is defined in the Word of God. I don't see any evidence of it. And I now understand more clearly than ever why the church is so full of false disciples. And it's, it's, it is horrendous. The thing that is the most heartbreaking for me is to see these dear friends of mine, Larry and Trish, be sucked completely into it. Larry is a guy who still has a, a, a great amount of his life that's driven by fear and a drive for security and the prosperity gospel and the talk of power and supernatural and, you know, the deliverance and the healing and all that stuff is so appealing that he himself has been sucked right back into this. I see it. The need to want to know that there's that good thing that's going to happen, that deliverance. I got sucked into it. I got sucked into it. I completely believe God can do extraordinary things. I completely believe God is going to bless me with an amazing wife. I completely believe that God is going to provide an amazing abundance of finances, but it's not going to be because I largely hungered or even desired those things. It's going to be because I have completely surrendered, completely allowed myself to suffer, completely sacrificed my will to His, been, been obedient to Him in every way I could possibly think. I've turned the other cheek. I've sacrificed myself through, through purity. I've become celibate. I've set down masturbation. I've set down the desires of the world, the need for sex, premarital sex, all of these things, purity. I have sacrificed with God's help and allowed myself to be crushed. And I went ahead and said, Father, I'm content. If you want me to have Laura, I will receive her and I'll have my heart's desires for her and for her family and my family and to teach them in the ways of God. But God, I can live without her. And God knows that's my heart. God, yes, I would like to see a miraculous financial provision so that I can get relief to my kids, to my enemy, and so that I can get my own place. Yes, I would love to have that, see that happen. But Father, I'm content day by day for you to do with me as you see fit. This is very different than the emphasis that what, what is taught in, in these charismatic churches where it's all about believing for your next victory, your best life now, the next word, the next move of God, the next healing, the next provision, the next big move in your ministry, the next big thing. And it's, it's total focus and emphasis is on the things that God can do for you rather than on God himself. This one final thought comes to me. There was this woman that I met one time at a radio station interview. And she and I got to be friends. Her name was Sarah. And when Sarah heard my story and knew that I was single and had been divorced, one time she said to me, she said, Michael, she said, never talk about your money when you're talking to a, a single woman or what have you. She said, because there are 
gold diggers out there everywhere. And I said to her, I said, Sarah, I don't, you don't have to worry about that. I said, I used to make money, but I don't have anything now. She goes, no, 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 no. Don't even talk about the money that you used to make. She said, it will attract a woman who is a gold digger to you. And she just said this with such conviction. And this was a woman herself who grew up in a Christian family. She was a very beautiful woman and lived a good life growing up comfortable, but she was drawn to the money. And she was now telling me this from experience, be careful. And I feel like that is exactly what we do. Many of us are gold diggers for God. Many of us go to God not, it's like, imagine if a woman married me for my money. Even if I had the money, even if she was with my arm, and even if she talked about how great I was, the fact is I would never truly have her heart. This is the essence of what I see in the charismatic movement. People talk about Jesus. They celebrate Jesus. They, they honor his name with their lips. They go to his parties. They go to his small groups. They, do, they read his books. They, they, they follow his teachers. They do all these things, but they really are after his wallet. They really are after his money. They're really spiritual gold diggers. There's no difference between the woman who wants a man for his money and is on his arm in all her beauty and array and all that than a man or a woman who wants Jesus for all the things that Jesus can do. The healings, the supernatural, the power, the miracles, the finances, the provision, the ministry, the, all of this stuff. And if we search our hearts, at the end of the day, we are guilty of being a false disciple if our emphasis is placed upon the things of God rather than the person of God and the presence of God. That's it. That's it. We just have to be honest. We have to be honest because the person who's a spiritual gold digger will never make it into heaven according to the word.